and welcome to the ninth episode of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. Together, we're known as the Pied Pipers of the Man Children, and we are a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Happy holidays, Rob. Happy holidays to you, Shag. You having a good time? You wearing your little Santa hat? I hope as you as you jog around town. <laughs> yes, that's that what I'm known for is my my jolly nature. But I will say this is a <laughs> digester, of course, the perfect stocking stuffer for Christmas. Oh, so if you have uh, kids out there or just adults, even man children, as you like to say, that uh, and you want to fill, put something in their Christmas stockings, digest are the perfect format. God knows I love treasuries, but they don't fit. But the digest is perfect. I hadn't thought about that. That is absolutely true. You know, and my daughter loves Marvel Comics. Maybe I should give her some of the Marvel Comic Digest for Christmas. I hadn't thought about that. I know you give them out for Halloween, so why not? That's true. That's true. Awesome. Well, folks, we have a holiday-themed episode of Digest Cast, which is really exciting. We're going to be covering – now, let me ask, actually, before I even say it. Did they do a lot of Christmas digests? Yes. Well, yes and no. I mean, they did holiday-related specials. They only did a couple of the superhero ones, but then later on – they did some, some sugar and spikes on, which we'll, we'll get to. They did like a stocking stuffer. They literally called one of the digest stocking stuffer. Oh, uh, But okay. it was all the humor comics and stuff. So, yeah, they, they kept up with the themes, uh, the, the holiday themes throughout the digest run. But because there weren't many superhero ones, we probably weren't as aware of them. That probably makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, this time out, we were going to cover the best of DC Blue Ribbon Digest number 58. And, Rob, why is this one special? Because it's the Super Juniors holiday special. And ah! we, uh, yes, and we later on, we're going to have some very special guests on to talk about it. Chris and Cindy Franklin. Woohoo! They are quite literally experts on the material. They're the only ones. <laughs> well, before we get uh, into the digest, because it's not just the Super Juniors, there's also Rob's beloved Sugar and Spike in yes, here. Yes. Super fun. So, all right, before we do that, folks, we should take a second to thank our sponsor. This episode of the Digest Cast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping. I got the giggles uh, for free shipping orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? I have uh, Donald Duck, A Christmas for Shacktown, which is a collection of Carr Barks, uh, classic Ducks comics, 240 pages. It's a hardcover. The normal price is $28.99. In stock price is $20.29. Everyone knows Carl Barks, one of the greatest comic book artists ever to live, and his Donald Duck comics are absolutely classic. This is the third volume of Fantagraphics reprinting of Barks' classic Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge work. It focuses on the early 1950s. Featured uh, are Bart's masterpieces, A Christmas for Shackdown, plus The Golden Helmet, The Gilded Man, and 10 of his smart and funny 10-pagers, all supplemented with extensive notes and essays by the foremost duck experts in the world. That sounds like a great gig. I'm a duck expert. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny. If you look at the in-stock trades, like the headline for, for the page, it doesn't always reflect exactly what the name of the book is. So if you look it up on in-stock trades, it says Walt Disney, Donald Duck, H.C., Volume 2, Xmas Shacktown. And if you, if you read it fast, it looks like it says Xmas Smackdown, which I was That's like, what oh, I thought. Yeah. It said, until you said it aloud. This whole time I thought it was Christmas Smackdown. Donald Duck is doing a Christmas Smackdown. That's kind of interesting. What's that, what's that about? But no, it's a Christmas for Shacktown. So, yeah, really classic uh, Carl Barks comics, Donald Duck, Christmas-related stories for 20 and 29 cents. Good deal. 
Awesome. Well, I've got a Disney themed one as well. Uh, Disney comics, um, yeah, Disney Christmas comics hardcover. Now it's not shaped like a comic book; it's shaped wider because this is a collection of newspaper strips. Uh, Disney did these Christmas newspaper strips started in 1960 with uh, Peter Pan's Christmas Story, and it went on for oh, geez, looks like 28 years because they've got 28 collected holiday stories in here. Uh, includes things like Cruella's Very Furry Christmas. That sounds like it didn't end well for the puppies. Uh, Snow White's Christmas Surprise, Dumbo and the Christmas Mystery, Cinderella's Christmas Party, and it goes on and on. It's 228 pages. They're written by Frank Riley and art by Floyd Gottfredson. I probably said that wrong. Forgive me. But again, 228 pages. I have not read this personally, but it just looks absolutely adorable. It's Disney. It's Christmas. It's comic strips. I mean, come on. It's a full win all the way around. IDW collected this version. Normally retails for $39.99 as a hardcover. And in-stock trades price is 30% off, so you can get it for $27.99. And come on, Christmas. It sounds perfect in Disney. It sounds like so much fun. Well, folks, for these and all your collected editions, please visit InStockTrades.com. Go up to the Contact Us button and let them know that the Fire & Water Podcast Network sent you. All right, Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about this digest? Well, I said this was one – we'll get to this when, when we talk to Chris and Cindy, but this was one of these ones that I never knew existed. Uh, I didn't see it on the newsstands at the time, and not that I ever saw the digest very much at all. But, but when I started to fill in my collection to get all the digests, I was like, what is – Super Juniors? What the hell is this <laughs> thing? And I was, of course, initially upset that Aquaman is not included, and we'll get to – again, we'll get to all that. But, yeah, this was one of these weird little offshoots of uh, – DC Digest history, and it's it's a fun holiday story. We all have our various opinions on it, um, but we thought it would be perfect to have Chris and Cindy come on to talk about it. And again, as we mentioned, they are the Super Juniors experts, and they have a bunch of very personal history with the Super Juniors. So we're going to play some podcast promos, and when we come back, Chris and Cindy are going to join us to talk about the Super Juniors story, The Isle of Forgotten Toys. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... The Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. And we're back from break, everybody. And as we promised, we have the amazing, longtime friend of the network, someone who's been a deep, deep part of our friendship, someone that we feel very, very connected to, the lovely, the talented Cindy Franklin. And That's right. I think her husband's here, too. But anyway. Hey. <laughs> hey, like I said, I claim Rob. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't claim Shag? <laughs> well. <laughs> this beat up on Shag Day or something? I, eh. You know, he can take it. I we, thought we it was go- up on Chris Day, but anyway. Oh, so you're deflecting. I see. Gotcha. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. This has hey, gotten off Christmas. to an I ugly want start. To come visit me. <laughs> <laughs> the important thing we should be talking about is the fact that tonight, as we record this, we're all seeing Aquaman. How exciting! Yay! Unbelievable. <laughs> Hope it doesn't suck. Yeah. 
And, you know, I got to tell you, it's very interesting. Reading the Super Juniors comic that we're about to talk about is very, very different when you read it the second time while listening to the Aquaman soundtrack, which is like a really intense action soundtrack. It makes a whole different read. Hmm. I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> uh, that joke fell a lot harder than I thought it would. <laughs> oh, that was a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming, y'all. Bye, Franklin. All right. Okay. Let's. This is already going off the rails. Okay. Uh, we're here to talk about the best of DC best of DC blue ribbon, blue ribbon digest number fifty eight, the Super Juniors Holiday Special, which was on sale March of the cover dated March uh, nineteen eighty five, was released on December sixth, nineteen eighty four. The digest editor was Nick Cootie, the legendary Nick Cootie. It's a dollar fifty for one hundred pages. The front and back covers are by Vince Squeglia. Is that how you say it, guys? I think so. Okay, we'll say that's what we're going to say, Win Squagula. So before we talk about the Super Juniors, you know, you guys are on because you're the quote-unquote experts on the Super Juniors. Can you explain to everybody just what the hell the Super Juniors are? Well, Super Juniors is basically a concept that was created uh, in like 1977, I believe. It was uh, copyrighted by DC Comics uh, through Licensing Corporation of America, and they put out a lot of product with these these kid versions of the superheroes on it. And it's really strange because there really was no precedent for this other than like little Archie because uh, there was no Muppet babies yet, no Flintstone kids. That was like a decade off almost. Uh, so Super Juniors was kind of this strange concept that, that uh, they made uh, tennis shoes, squeak toys. Outfits. Uh, outfits, sheets. Wallpaper. Wallpaper, sleeping bags. Yeah, we'll get to the wallpaper in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> and, oh my God. And and um, so the weird thing was is that there was all this merchandise in the 70s, and there was no comic, no cartoon uh, that came out from it, at least in the U.S. until this digest came out. And uh, there's 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 this uh, there was a mystery about this comic. There's no credits in the digest. Nope. Which is really strange. Absolutely none. And it wasn't until uh, Andy Mangles did an article in uh, back issue number 76 a few years back. He uncovered all the backstory on this. Uh, uh, the, the, the Super Juniors, this digest uh, was actually slated to come out around the time all this pro- product was being put out, but not as a digest, as your favorite format of comic, Rob. Fill in the blank, dude. <laughs> it, it was supposed to be a treasury? Yes. I didn't know that. How did I forget that? I read that article. How did I forget that? Oh, my God. Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> Is it really, though? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Continue, Chris. Okay. Okay. So, basically, uh, Tom DeFalco, who we all know as more of a Marvel guy, obviously, he became the editor-in-chief of Marvel in the late 80s after Jim Shooter uh, was let go uh, and was a famous writer at Marvel. He was actually uh, doing some work for DC at the time, and uh, they tapped him to develop a backstory for these versions of the characters. So he wrote this digest, and Vince Gweglia did the art, and Jerry Grandinetti uh, did the inks on it. And uh, it was supposed to come out, I think in the, the 77, 78, and as a companion piece to that year's Rudolph Treasury, and they decided to, that's when they started cutting back on the amount of treasuries they were doing, and it got cut. DeFalco? Really? Yes. 
Tom DeFalco wrote this. Yeah, wow. when, I, when I saw that on uh, Comics Database, I was like, that can't be right. Tom DeFalco <laughs> wrote this? That made no sense to me. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It puts it, his it, Fantastic it. Four run in a little more perspective, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ouch. So this was yeah. done in the 70s? Is that what this whole thing was done in the 70s? Is that that's what you're saying? Yeah, it was done in 77, 78. Yeah. So, so that's, that's why on the inside story that the Wonder Tot has the eagle – on her, uh-huh. on her, on her, whatever you want to call that, her bodice, tunic, yeah. her bodice, yeah. and it's on the cover. She's got the W because, of course, they did the cover after Wonder uh-huh. Woman had been changed over a couple of years earlier. That's why there's that difference. Yep. Yeah, this was uh-huh. actually it was published before this uh, in uh, 1980. A federal publishing company. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry, that was the Australian company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Grupo Editorial Vid, uh, which published DC Comics in Mexico, actually published this in like a magazine size format. And uh, then the same year that this digest came out, uh, Federal Publishing in Australia published it as well. And me and Cindy actually have that version. And uh, it's it, they, they cut out some of the opening title page, uh, chapter title pages. Uh, that's the only difference. And well, and they, they made some coloring changes too in it. But so, yeah, this thing has this weird history. And meanwhile, like the Super Juniors, like when the 1982, the infamous, or not, not infamous, it's famous, the famous 1982 style guide mm. by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise his name. name. <laughs> came out. The Super Juniors are in it. They're on the cover. Right, uh, right. They're, they're still pushing the Super Juniors, and yet there's still no <laughs> ongoing comic, cartoon, which they tried to pitch a cartoon, apparently, to several different Oh uh, outlets and uh, yeah, <laughs> man, <laughs> that's, that's a bullet we all dodged. <laughs> Rough crowd, uh, but, but uh, yeah. So uh, so it's this. It's really weird. It's like this. It's like this marketing push that had all this merchandise and like no foundation. It's almost like it's like Shadows of the Empire before Shadows of the Empire. <laughs> right. No, that's that's actually a really good analogy. I got a question. You said you've seen the magazine format as i flip through it now that i know it's a treasury some of the big double spa- uh, double page spreads and some of the full page splash sort of make more sense now like oh right. i could see why that would look better at a, at a bigger format so how does it look at magazine size like you said you've got that is it is it is it nice is it better yeah it looks really oh, nice yeah. and the color in it is is kind of almost like a painted uh yeah. painted color it's, it's got a lot of uh, uh, different tones and uh, it, it looks more like almost more like a modern comic. Now there is some out of registration print going on here and there, but it is a whole lot nicer looking. It's a whole lot easier to read. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, and and the weird, the, the weird, really weird thing is, is that Super Kid Casey, which we'll get into, he's got blonde hair in both this Australian version and the Mexican version, uh-huh. and and uh, Rembrandt, the Flash Kid, is more. Obviously, African American in the in in this version when he's when he's in his civilian guys when he turns into Flash Kid it looks like he turns Caucasian which is weird. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you look if you look at the character drawn, he's absolutely African American. Yeah, and but mm-hmm. you're right. All the coloring does not follow through with that. Right. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of strange. So this has this really weird. I mean, it's so I don't know if there's ever another been another concept that's been this kind of it's like out there. There's a ton of merchandise out there, but it's like there's no foundation for it. Only this one-off comic that barely got published. It's so weird. 
at the uh, back when I was doing the Digest uh, blog, I actually did an interview with Nick Cootie to talk about his work as an editor of the Digest. He was kind enough to talk with me about this sort of like very small chapter in his long career. But I asked him specifically about the weird choices he made as an editor. And I said, you know, were the more unusual Digest headline choices, Super Juniors or Plop? Because DC were fans of the material. And he said, I have to take blame for those as well. I was never a big superhero fan. And so I was always trying to find a new direction for the digests. I believe superheroes could be in full-size comics where their action could be fully exploited. And the offbeat stuff could be in the digests. Mad Magazine put out pocket-sized versions of their early stories. So I thought Plop would be a natural. When I ran across a pamphlet with the Super Juniors, I figured they might work as a Christmas special. I was certain I was on the right track, but sales figures don't lie, and they kept dropping. So that was pretty much it for the Super Juniors. I never saw this one as a kid. This was one. This was something I only came across when I was collecting the Digest and filling in the holes in my collection. I, had, I never had any idea that this was ever a thing. Well, I, I bought it right off the rack. Did you have it too, Cindy? I did not, but I remember it though. You remembered it. Mm-hmm. You remembered seeing it. Okay. Yeah, I bought it. I bought it off the rack, and you know it, when it came out in in eighty Christmas of eighty four, I was turning ten, so I was a little like sheepish about buying it, you know, because <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's baby versions of superheroes. But I was just a sucker for you know a good superhero Christmas story. So I bought it, you know, in and, the hopes that that would be it, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, now you're, yeah, you're turning with shag. Huh? <laughs> so from a marketing perspective, I'll give you a perspective. What, what I, th- now I didn't know the history of it being done in the seventies, but that actually fits in really well with what I was thinking. Cause if you look at this, the timing of it, this was released December 6, 1984. Now three to four months before that, something else happened, which may have spurred them to create this uh, or create this version of the digest. And if the art was already ready to go, it would make a lot more sense. And I'm going to explain it to you in a musical number. So please bear with me. In September 15th, 1984, something premiered that went a little something like this. Super juniors, we make our dreams come true. Super juniors, we'll do the same for you. When your back cave looks kind of weird and you wish that you weren't there, just close your eyes and make... Yeah, it's getting old. Never mind. I had a <laughs> yeah, I'll stop. But um, Thank you. I was okay. listening. I, like, I enjoyed it. <laughs> there, there's all bits about, you know, I, detective comics and action. Anyway, but the popularity of Muppet Babies was right out of the gate. And they had been in the movie before that. And right. I wouldn't be surprised if DC's looking at that going, okay, kid versions are huge. We've got this on the shelf, you know, three months in advance going, okay, we could turn this around. I think I wouldn't be surprised if that influenced some of the decisions on this. Yep. That's a good call. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't remember exactly when soup, when Muppet Babies launched, but if it was the same, like around the same year, then that t- makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah, they, but DC missed, you know, just like they missed the chance to do a Justice League movie before the MCU started, they missed the chance to be ahead of the curve of the cartoon characters' baby, version, baby yeah. version. That was, I mean, because after Muppet Babies, like we said, you had Flintstone Kids, you had Yo- Scooby Junior, Scooby, you had uh, Puppet Tiny, Tiny, Tiny Tunes, Tiny Tunes, yeah. Uh, you had Yo Yogi. I mean, everybody forgets Yo Yogi, but you had Yo Yogi and. Uh, yes, we uh, do all forget that. <laughs> So, I mean, there was a ton of them, and they could have been ahead of the curve, but they, you know, other than the merchandise. And one thing I forgot to mention, do you guys remember in the 70s there were were ads for these super baby dolls in the comics? Yes. Okay, that was from 76, and according to uh, Andy Mangle's article, he believes that that may have kind of spurred 
the idea of the super juniors okay. for DC to say, Hey, wait a minute, we can lock down. This is like a property, you know? And so somebody, I don't know, was Vince Squiglia, uh, the artwork on all the stuff, all the things, cause me and Cindy have a lot of this stuff. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have a lot of the merchandise because we used it in Andrew's room. Yes. When he was little, when he was a baby. I mean, he came home to a super juniors nursery. nursery. <laughs> that is so cool. So we found like old wallpaper on eBay. Tell Can I the, please tell the tell story? Tell the story of the wallpaper. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So this is 2001, and it's Andrew was born November 6th, and I, uh, this was probably September or October. On the Super Juniors wallpaper, the way they cut it was on Green Arrow's arrow. So it had to match up on an arrow. Okay? <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> yes. Yes. And Chris and I were trying to do this. I have never, you think about this, I'm seven, eight months pregnant. I have never wanted to ice pick him in the brain so bad. I lost, I mean, because he was just, well, we have to do it this way. And da, 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 da. And I'm like, let's do it. You know, I'm trying to remain calm. And I mean, it, it was, I think it was the biggest fight we have ever said. It's the closest I've ever come to telling him I want a divorce. I don't care if I'm knocked up. I don't care. I want you out of my house. <laughs> Of matching wallpaper. It was comic super... nerd being really, really specific and nitpicky. That's so weird. It never happens. I know. Who ever heard of that? Right. And it's it's Green Arrow had a little suction cup arrow, and yes. like on the on one end was the shaft of the arrow. On the other end of the wallpaper was the the suction cup. So oh, you geez. had to you had to yeah. line that up. Yeah, and, on the shaft of the arrow. Yeah. And I swear to God, I <laughs> I mean, I love you. I, you know, I love you. But I who, who are you talking to now, Cindy? Sorry. Right. <laughs> I know how she feels about me, so. Oh. Even though we go down and eat barbecue with him every two years. I know. Shag's good people. He is. I just like to bust his chops because it brings me joy. Okay. Find your joy. Really, we want to keep convincing Chris we don't really aren't really secretly having an affair. I understand. <laughs> Shut up. God, was that on the air? Rob, can you edit that out? <laughs> you should know by now I don't edit anything out of the show. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be super mates, not super, you know, bosom <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to change topics. Uh, so you, you <laughs> piqued my interest That's here. Because you described something that I find even more fascinating than the cover of this. So there's a Green Arrow character as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. they did. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a pillow that we have, for instance, that's got – it's basically they recreated the, the Treasury uh, cover – with the Justice League like flying out, you know, uh, they basically recreated that. It's got the the eagle in the and the eagle's like a little cute cartoon yeah, eagle with the shield cute. and all that. And it's got uh, it's got Aquaman. They made Aquaman. <gasps> yep, yep, yep. They made Green Arrow. They made Green Lantern. Yep. Hawkman. Yeah, yeah. They, they're all yep. on. And, and other material has like Supergirl. Yep. And I don't know if they, I don't remember ever seeing Batgirl. No. They made Supergirl. Yeah. They made on Supergirl. stuff. So they, they they didn't have just these characters. They had. Pretty much any any of the main DC characters they licensed back then appeared on like different. Yeah, I mean, like we've got little party favor boxes. We've got things that you're supposed to hang up. They're little paper hangups. We've got wall hanging. We have curtains. Yeah. Curtains. Sorry, yeah. I never can say that right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's curtains. Uh, we we got. Um, uh, well, we put the wallpaper up. We did like one wall, and we're like recreating Andrew's nursery for you guys. Sorry, but we had one wall with the wallpaper on it, and the rest 
we painted blue with white clouds. It looked like Andy's room from Toy Story. Yeah. Aww. That's so, so cute. I, I drew the Super Juniors and um, printed them out and mounted them on foam core. Yep. And put them up on his wall like little wall hangings. Oh. It, I did. I did one with. Uh, I did uh, Green Lantern. Uh, with a wagon, he was making a wagon with his power yeah. ring, and Aquaman and Green Arrow were in the wagon. Aquaman had a fish bowl. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Danny was born, um, he took the Wonder Woman that was in an invisible plane, and then he printed out a little pink banner that said "It's a Wonderful Girl," and he he posted it on my hospital door. Yeah, I put it right into the hospital and put it on the door. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> do you guys have any pictures of this stuff? It sounds so cute. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll have to put it up in the image gallery. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm yeah. dying to see this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I bought the Digest and I finally got it, and I was like, "Oh, look, it's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Robin, and..." Flash, <laughs> like what the hell happened to Harley? Like, even even when they do kid version, they don't do Aquaman as an. And so I was happy to see that he was at least included in in the greater line of merchandise. Yeah, I, yeah. I like a moment ago how Chris described it. He was saying, you know, all the major DC characters that they licensed. That's his careful way of saying Firestorm didn't get in. I get it. It's okay, Chris. You don't have to soft sell it to me. <laughs> a child with his head on fire. Come on. Yeah, Chad. I know. Right. Yeah. How are you gonna How are you gonna sell that, Chad? I don't. I can, I can well, see that. I was pretty surprised in this comic how violent it was. I mean, it has all these little cute kids like punching people and you know knocking and kicking them across the room. I'm like, that's pretty violent for kids. Well, all right, let's, well, let's get Have to the. Have you ever let, let, been in a preschool, dude? Come on. <laughs> I taught preschool. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, she got a rib cracked in preschool. No kidding. Yeah, no she did. Let me get to the uh, let me get to the synopsis of this because we're really talking about everything but the comic and the synopsis. <laughs> oh, the, 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 well, no, no, but the synopsis is very short because I tried to write a full length one and I just wanted to die because it was so <laughs> complicated and so I cut it down to just very very simple broad strokes. So this is basically the plot. It's sixty five pages. This story. I mean, this is a big big story. So it it's, was seventy. <laughs> is it seven? All right, okay. No, so no, what's it's it? Sixty-five. Sixty-five. All right. So on the on the I island, I was counting the pages, dude. <laughs> okay, okay. Let him go. <laughs> so on the on the Isle of, on the Isle of Forgotten Toys, where toys are replaced by new Christmas gifts, gather. Uh, the toys hatch a plan to end Christmas altogether. They enlist the meanest kid in the world, Wallace Van Wealthy the Third. Hey, that's me. Who is left in Miss Piffle's <laughs> nursery school over the holidays, along with a group of five orphans. Wally gets transformed into a junior version of the Weather Wizard and makes it warm so people won't get into the Christmas spirit. The spirit of Christmas then transforms the orphan kids into junior versions of their heroes, Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin. Their first battle is against a giant snowman, after which the boys are scattered to various dimensions for solo missions. Flash Kid heads for Candyland. Super Kid goes to the land of the living calendars. Bat Guy and Kid Robin go to Shadowland. And Wonder Tot visits Toyland. After completing their adventures, the Super Juniors regroup for the final battle before Santa swoops in to save the day and Wally and the toys learn the error of their ways. In the epilogue, their teacher, Miss Piffle, can't find the kids and gets enraged when she sees a Christmas tree dressed in clothes, mistaking it for a dead body. She calls the police, alleging the kids are to blame. The cops arrive and can't believe these innocent tots are anything but, well, innocent, and they cart Miss Piffle off downstairs with some nice, relaxing hot chocolate. The Super Juniors, sitting around the Christmas tree, wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. The end. So, Shag, you're not a fan of this story, supposedly? 
Oh, man, you had to go to me first. Um, artistically, it's beautiful. It is really, really gorgeous. I love the art. The kids are freaking adorable. They're so cute. I showed my wife, and she thought they were cute, too. said Batman's a little scary looking, but otherwise she liked it, too. And uh, the problem is, you know, um, I have a 12-year-old daughter who I read books to every night uh, from pretty much birth till hmm, probably a nine or so. And when she got to be about three years old, I couldn't stand reading what I call dumb books anymore, dumb kid books. Like, you know, I'm, no offense, folks, but some of the some of the kids' books, I won't name names because we actually know some people involved with these things, but some uh, of the kids' yeah. books are so painful to read. I couldn't do it. So I stopped and I said, honey, we're not doing this anymore. We started reading things like Secret Garden and Little Princess, you know, classics is what we started doing instead. And this comic falls, as far as I'm concerned, in the category of dumb kid story. And it's written for maybe a three- or four-year-old. But a three- or four-year-old couldn't read this. So really you're more likely going to get like a nine- or ten-year-old to read it, and it's too young for them. So it fits in a really weird zone where it doesn't really work for me. But again, the art is so cool. It's so cool. It's like living in a Candyland game half the time. It's so fun. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just not for me. Hmm. All right. Chris, Cindy, what do you think of this? Do you want to go first? Okay. <laughs> this is awful to say as a youth services librarian, but – I'm sorry, but rhyming text, I felt like somebody had taken Dr. Seuss and mixed it in and said, hey, let's do rhyming text. And I'm like, dude, no. (laughs) I mean, it's just, oh, it was was a slog. I mean, it took me probably two and a half hours last night to slog through this again, but just for the simple fact of, okay, there's only so much of that can take, and then I've got to come back to it. So much I can take, come back to it. I was the same way. It took me days to finish this thing. I'd read one little chapter chapter and go, I got to go use my brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally one of those cases where you can feel your brain leaking out of your ear. <laughs> and I mean, here, here's the thing that this is the logic lies in me coming out again. But if they're doing this on the basis that you feel Christmas time because it's cold weather, right? Well, they're changing up where the cold weather is. So the in Bermuda, they are or Barbados or wherever it was, they are having cold weather. So doesn't that mean they basically just switched where the Christmas spirit was, not got rid of it, just switched where it was? Yeah, that was that was a little strange, yeah. Yeah. So I mean Yeah, you're 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 trying to apply way too much logic to this story. <laughs> logic right. glass has arrived. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I, you know, I think, I mean, I, I think that, well, actually the story, the concept of it's kind of similar to uh, Rudolph, the original uh-huh. Rudolph the Red-Nosed oh, yeah. Reindeer. Kind of? Although Tom DeFalco claims he never watched that. So. He lies. <laughs> what? That's not even possible. <laughs> I, I, I don't really buy that either, but I'm just taking him. That's what he told Andy Mangles in the, in the back issue article. Uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, it's kind of like, and, and I don't know if you guys knew this, and this is going off the rails a little bit. The original airing of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer did not have the scene where Santa comes back and picks up the toys from the Island of Misfit Right, toys. right. They added that the next year because so many people wrote in and complained, hey, why didn't Santa go pick those toys up? <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so they shot a new sequence, and they actually cut some of the other stuff out to yep. make it fit the hour. And, the reason they uh, added that is because Santa's such a dick throughout that entire special. 
He is. I mean, God, they, I mean, everybody, and they, that's kind of hard to watch nowadays because everybody's so mean and just like discriminating against Rudolph and Hermie. It's just awful. I know. <laughs> but, but anyway, so imagine Santa didn't come back and pick up those toys. Well, that's basically what you got here. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, you know, the continuation of that if Santa hadn't come back. If he hadn't made it right in Rudolph, this is what would have happened. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and, and what's really weird about this story is they introduce so many of these characters and, like, give, like, like there's Matt the Cat and John John the Jack in the Box. Yeah, and, and then they do nothing. And they, Well, but, I mean, no, they, I mean, they're there and they're, but it's like, this. this is so, it's like, this almost seems like it was literally supposed to be written for a like an ongoing series of like Christmas specials, you know, like they and maybe that was the idea that they do one every year. I don't know. But I mean, they introduce all these characters. It's like they didn't have to go into that depth. And my one complaint about it is I get you guys saying that it's a little maybe too it's almost too juvenile for the audience that could actually read it. Right. I, I get what you're saying. But my real problem with it is just this one story is just too long. It's like if – and I realized that you know, knowing that it was supposed to be a treasury, they were trying to fill out the whole treasury with one story. But I think they'd been better off like doing maybe a little bit longer story for the origin and then doing like a smaller, a shorter story to, to break this up. You right. know, I, I, I don't know if that would have helped, but it, it does – it is a little over long. You know, just and it takes forever for the kids to get into Go, the costumes. Yeah. yeah, so but I, I didn't dislike it like you guys did. I I thought I'm with Shag though, I thought the art was great. Uh there's some really funny little bits, little you know, if you watch what the characters are doing, like the faces they're making, the acting of the characters is really well done. So I liked it. I, I probably, I guess hearing you guys, I think I probably liked it the most of all of you. I actually thought this was really very charming. I love Vince Squigley's artwork. Uh, I think it's really sharp. I like how it's kid-friendly in certain places, but also highly detailed. Um, I liked all the nods to sort of DC continuity. I mean, the Flash chapter is called Crisis in Candyland, which I thought was great, getting the word yes. crisis in there. The splash image, I could be crazy, and this may be reading too much into it, but like that splash image of Wonder Tot where she's trussed up in the chains in the dungeon it yeah. reminds me of that one cover from Wonder Woman number 199 where she's got the, the, the executioner behind her where it's when she was powerless. It's a very famous cover by uh, Jeff Jones, I believe. And yeah. I feel like that was a nod to that. So I found this whole thing really, really cute and charming. I, I liked everything about it. The only problem is, and I feel weird saying this because of the show we're saying it on, but as they digest, it's unreadable. <laughs> That's the only problem. I mean, it's just Vince Squigley's art is too detailed. It's too. There's a reason why other artists like Alex Toth or Jim Aparo or Jack Kirby work really well in Digest because their stuff is simplified with very bold lines. But this thing to me is too detailed. The writing and all – the whole thing uh, – Cindy talked about this. That the whole thing is written in verse, which I think is very clever. It's a little forced, but I think it's clever. But it's a just little? like – well, I, it's just to me, it's just it's it was it's literally painful to read. And I have scans of this and even as scans, high resolution scans, it's it's impossible to read. So this should have been, as Andy Mangles talked about, a treasury. It absolutely yeah. should have been because it to me, it would have been just a pleasure. Like I loved every I liked every creative choice in this story, except for the fact that it is just torture on your eyes to look at. And if you can't literally look at the thing that it's been printed on, then that's the problem. And so I'm not surprised that kids, little kids who are 
probably not reading Digest anyway because they were like, you know, after that they were like, I don't want to read this Sergeant Rock Prize Battle Tales. What is this about? Like to me, <laughs> this is just it. It it's just it's completely wrong for a digest. That's the only problem I had with it. But that's a big problem when it's a digest. Yeah, it's it's approaching Marvel Digest level of of illegibility. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it 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 really is. I had to like I've got bifocals and I had to like pull my glasses down and look over top of them to read it. You know, I mean, it's it's. Oh my gosh, and that's another reason why I kept. I'm supposed to have bifocals. I haven't went and got them yet, but I was just like, ah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. That's the that's the bit, and I think that's one thing that makes it feel. Feel, I think that's one thing that made it feel long to me because it was a struggle to read. Oh, yeah. I, I think I think maybe if it if it hadn't been for that, because because I did enjoy the story, and I'm with you. I think I think there is a lot of charm, and and I think this concept, I think this really could have worked as an animated Christmas special. Oh, I mean, you yes. think you think about some of the other ones that came out. You know, I mean, not not just the classics, but the ones that have kind of fell by the wayside over the years. I mean, this one would have been. Right in there, probably somewhere in the middle of those. Maybe not quite at rank and bass level, but better than average, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it it, it would have worked thinking, better, I think. I'm kind of thinking, to my notion, that they're, they were working on a Christmas special idea as the script. Because did you catch, catch the two product placements in it? Oh, there was a Frisbee. Back- no, no, no. Okay. In Chapter 7, he talks about using Banaka Blast. Oh, <laughs> and then on the next page, it talks about having an Excedrin headache. Wow. <laughs> the Super Junior's Christmas special brought to you by Excedrin. Yes. I mean, Why not? but I mean, I kind of wonder if that wasn't a well, maybe they, product placement maybe that, that was, they were working. You know, a deal they were working on that was going to be. It was in the script with the idea that if it got developed into. A you cartoon. Know, an actual cartoon that hey, there well, there it is. He might have built that in. DeFalco might have built that in to, to the to the pitch to mm-hmm. when they were talking to networks or cart or whoever, Hanna Barbera, whoever they were talking. I don't know who they were talking to. You think Hanna Barbera because they already had the Super Friends. Uh, of course, it could have been Filmation because Filmation oh, was true, doing true, true. Batman at the time, and we're getting ready to do Shazam in a few years. So the cartoon Shazam. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it. There's a lot of potential here for. Uh, the the not only a cartoon special, but I, the kids themselves actually are. I will give DeFalco a lot of credit. They they've got a lot of character and they're they're instantly developed. You know who they are. You mm-hmm. know their per, their quirks. You know Carlos, that's the Bat guy. Is he's the grump of the group, which makes sense. He's which kind of ahead of the curve with Batman, really. Yeah. Uh, Batman wasn't quite the jerk he is nowadays. You know back then. Um, you know. Uh, You've got Wonder Woman t- thinking about the environment and you know social justice and that right, kind of thing. Right, right, you know? exactly. Yeah, and and uh, uh, although you know they do kind or of Wonder Tot, rather Wonder Tot, anyway. they 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 paint uh, Casey as kind of the big dumb strong guy, which is what we don't want him to do with Superman. But you know it's kind of what they do sometimes with Superman. Frank uh, Miller, you've done it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, the, you know, the characters are really well developed in a in a short amount of. Uh, in a short amount of pages, really. So, I mean, there, I think this concept had legs. Uh, you know, it just, it, uh, it's really strange that DC didn't find a home for it and just, just stick it in a regular comic book. You know, don't, why'd they show this? You know, I, I don't, I, maybe it's, I just, I just, I guess I don't get it. That Or, or put it in a, put it in a, uh, uh, like just a children's book format, you know, like a little yeah, hardback yeah. children's book, like a little golden book or something, you know, or, 
which would have been a little bit bigger than a digest and a little bit easier to read or something. But well, it could have been the page count was the problem because you know mm-hmm. being seventy nine thousand pages, you you couldn't stick that <laughs> in a regular comic. You couldn't stick it in some of the golden books either. So they'd be you know as you said, they adapted the concept though because it, it, it we're we're really bagging on the comic. However, again, the concept is adorable. The kids oh, are yeah. so freaking cute. Now oh, I'm dying are. to see Hawkman and Aquaman and Green Arrow. Those are amazing, and um, it, it had legs, but it just. Yeah. Didn't didn't pay off in this particular, and, and maybe it'd be better received as you guys said at the digest. Because yeah, I'm I'm I, I don't have the actual comic. I couldn't get it, so I'm reading scans of it on a ten inch tablet. So mine is much bigger than y'all's, and even at that size, it's like I'm like, what is that supposed to be? Yeah, oh, geez, yeah. you know, it's it's definitely hard to make out. Well, there was one throwaway line too that I thought if they had made some follow up to this, when they are in. In the little Batmobile, which is so cute, by the way. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> and then Casey is pushing him down down the hallway and down the stairs and stuff. The way he talks about it makes you think that there might be something else to Casey because he's like, I got to get out of here. If old lady Piffle saw me, I'm going to have more problems than a math test. And he's going so fast. I almost wonder if he wasn't supposed to really be a, like a little Kryptonian baby or something like that. Maybe, oh. you know. Because maybe. maybe he really had some kind of powers himself. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, they could have done stuff like, I mean, if they'd done something more with it, you know, maybe. Uh, it's just it, it's just so odd that they just, of course, they've, DC, we know they've shelved all sorts of stuff over the years. It's like, why in the world wouldn't you just go ahead and publish that, you know? But, right. I mean, this did get published, but it's just so weird that it got published in the format it did and so late after it was, I mean, like, at least like six years after it was created right. you know so uh six seven years after it was created so it's just it's it's just really a really strange little footnote so yeah i, I think I there's still, a... I, st- I still think if we didn't get muppet babies we wouldn't even got this published i think it still would have sat on a shelf you're probably right yeah yeah yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot here, but it just the presentation is just not great, and any fans that might have been engaged by it are, are going to just shrug their shoulders and wait for the next digest because you're just like this is just such a hard thing to read. But yeah, I I would love to see a larger version of it on nice white paper with just decent printing because uh, everything else I like that. I mean, I'm not familiar with, with Vince Squigley. I'm not. I don't know what other work he's done, but I really like it. I mean, I think it's really dynamic looking work, and he able to he managed to make these characters look cute but not cloying which i thought was really cool and so yeah it's it's, it's a shame it's sort of a real missed opportunity for this for the super juniors would, would you tell would you suggest chris then that people seek out the magazine size version or is it really not going to be that much of a payoff for them uh if you can find it yeah i would if, if you for if you, a reasonable price yeah, if you can find it for a reasonable price i would i think you know i think um if you if you like the if you just like the concept of kids superheroes or you like this digest you like the art what you see of the artwork yeah I check it out because I think it's it's uh, the coloring's nicer like I said the only problem with the coloring is there is some that dreaded you know stuff the ink lines and the color are sometimes out of registration mm-hmm. uh, they're not lining up together on some pages but I mean when it's when it's really all together it looks really really nice I mean it looks it looks it looks like a like a Kind of like that same, you know, the painted style of of uh, coloring that was kind of used on uh, early graphic novels like *Son of the Demon* and things like that. That's mm-hmm. the kind of color it's got in it. New and, mutants, uh, all that. Yep. Yeah, new mutants and things. It, it looks it looks really nice. What yeah. this puts me in the mind of, what the Super Juniors puts me in mind of, is it the Garfield Holiday Special? <laughs> you know, that rounded look, and you know, right. like it, that's what it put me in mind of. Right, but without the the heart wrenching grandma. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. I cry every freaking year. <laughs> 
and I'm not a crier, and it makes me cry <laughs> every year. Not, but I watch Garfield it. Garfield finds year. the old love letters from Grandpa, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a that's a good one. Yeah, there there is one little weird thing that was I, I, I you know I gotta I gotta have to write Andy, Andy Mangles a check after we do this podcast, uh, <laughs> but but uh, um, in his article. At the end, you noticed it says, uh, the last page of the story says, you know, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Thank goodness. Well, the thank goodness was actually just written in, in pencil on, on Tom DeFalco's script when he turned it in as for him saying, thank goodness I got this finished. And somebody at DC thought it was part of the script and lettered <laughs> it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and it made it into the book, like all versions of the book. It's in there. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> so even Tom DeFalco, apparently, by the end of this, was like, "Okay, I got to get this done." <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a good thing he didn't write. Thank God, I got this effing thing done. <laughs> <laughs> Little brats, you know. Or <laughs> the things I do for money. What a weird way to end this Christmas story. Well, all right, it's whatever. It's fine. So, well. Yeah, I, I've been. This was when we started doing the Digest Cash Show. I wanted to get to this one. I was always like, "This is such a weird little blip in DC Comics history and history of the Digest." So I was like, "I finally pulled the trigger to do this one and talk about it for Christmas." And so, Chris and Cindy, you guys have to get going because you're starting your you're recording your first episode of the Super Juniors podcast today, which I know. <laughs> so, uh, <Hello>? but <laughs> Chris, you got to oh, tell dear. somebody. Um, but, but guys, thank you so much for stopping by. We really appreciate it because we really wanted to have the, the sole people on the planet that can call themselves super juniors experts, and that's you guys. <laughs> well, us and Andy Mangles. Yeah. And Andy uh, Mangles, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, well, thank you. And, and despite what we've, you know, what we feel a little bit different on the story, I like it more than Cindy does. Well, it's, it's we one of those cases. I love the concept. I love the different stuff. I mean, Danny had a little onesie that has um, what – the wonder tot on it and yeah. you know i mean just such a cute cute concept it's just the foundation is shaky but what came out of it is great yeah well and i don't know which i, th- I honestly think the, the merchandise concept came first and they they wrote a comic around it just like a toy line you know they yeah. come up with yeah. a toy Sounds line like and they wrote the book around it but then this the book just never came out mm-hmm. you know uh so yeah i mean the concepts it's really it's it, it's kind of i mean we've seen We've never seen the Super Juniors as they were quite return. I mean, there's even an even odder bit. There was a Super Juniors, uh, a different version of the Super Juniors developed at some point, I think in between when the Mexican comic came out and when this Digest came out, there was a different version of the Super Juniors with older kids as the superheroes that was developed by DC. Uh, It's in the Andy Mangles back issue article. You guys really need to check that issue, a back issue. Um, And... It shows the artwork, and they look more like like preteens or something. Yeah, they're probably about tenish. Yeah, and, you know. and they and it's it and it's called I think it's the Super Kids. No, no, that was a book. Now there was a book called the Super Kids. Okay, okay I've got sorry. that too, which is a totally different thing. That was like a random house, like children's book with these kids that are in a clubhouse, uh, and they all dress up as the same superheroes. And in the Flash is African American in that too. Yep, which yep. is strange, uh, but. They they dress up as the superheroes and they help this ro- this rock star find his missing dog, 
Uh, <laughs> and it's okay. like called Super Kids to the Rescue or something. Yeah. And, and it, it's a little hard. And I actually found it because I was looking for more Super Junior stuff. And right. I came across that. Yeah. So this concept's like floated around and DC's never quite known what to do with it. And a few years, and now they've got all the Imaginex stuff uh-huh. with the, the Super, DC Super Friends, which they're not like kid versions. But then they did the, the Fisher Price version of those. Yes. Oh they, my gosh, they're so funny. They're little cute. people, the little people, uh, Fisher Price little people as superheroes. Yep. So that's as close to Super Juniors as we've gotten in modern times. Yeah. You know? But uh, so the concept like keeps coming back around, but it's just really strange because it's it, it's like out there, but it never had like a strong foundation. Yeah. It's really weird. All right. Well said. It's 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 an interesting little diversion in this universe. So, so guys, again, thank you for stopping by. And uh, why don't you guys uh, tell everybody where you can they can find you on our network? Well, you can find us on JLUcast. That's where Cindy and I cover the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series in order. Uh, we are actually going to have an episode out, I believe, uh, after this one comes out. It's a it's a Christmas episode, even though the episode we're covering isn't a Christmas story, but we made it a Christmas episode. It works. <laughs> it works. Just trust us. When Flash and Green Lantern are, uh, you know, your main heroes in the story, it's red and green. So, hey, it's Christmas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we made it work. Uh, and we do Supermates on occasion. We just came out of doing a big chunk of Supermates because we did the House of Frankenstein. Uh, but, uh, you know, folks are more on, on JLU cast nowadays, but we'll sneak out of Supermates every once in a while. And, of course, I do uh, Batman Nightcast when me and Ryan actually get back to doing that. Uh, Rob and I do Superman Movie Minute, which coming next year, Superman 2, I have to keep saying that. Yep. Uh, just like the movie. Uh, and uh, Rob and I do Power Records, which we just did. So, right. That's right. Uh, yep, and there's probably other things I do. I do FW Presents Wonderful Toys, which I haven't done forever. I need to do one. But, uh, yeah, we're all over the place. So. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well again thanks thanks guys for stopping by i always love talking to you and so everybody uh stay tuned we're going to run some podcast promos when we come back shag and i are going to talk a little sugar and spike and we're going to do listener feedback and we're going to do sugar and spike all in baby talk so it's going to be perfect we're not doing and, uh, any of that <laughs> chris and cindy merry christmas thanks for being merry, here merry thank christmas. goodness merry christmas <laughs> thank goodness yes yes <laughs> Temporary. You sound weird. Whoa. So do I. I kind of like this. What's the matter? I wore glasses as a kid. Guess I need them again. Wow. I didn't even try to make these. <laughs> I hope not. Cool. Warlord Worlds. A fan podcast devoted to the comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, Star Slayer, and Shaman's Tears. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Special episodes feature interviews with Mike Grell himself. And special segments feature great guests discussing the Legion of Superheroes. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit warlordworlds.com. Warlord Worlds is part of the Rad Adventures Network at radadventuresnetwork.com.
back, and thanks so much to Cindy and Chris for being part of the episode. That was wonderful, and I'm so glad that they agreed with me on how the special was and not Rob, so that's great. So uh, now we get to talk about something that, Rob, we've been dancing around this to some extent since the podcast maybe started back in 2011. You started dropping references to Sugar and Spike. And I mean, especially when we got to who's who, I mean, they just keep getting brought up and just, even if it's just a little side joke or something, but sugar and spike, we, we covered them in legends of tomorrow, but we've never actually covered a real sugar and spike story before now. So for me, it feels like uh, the last, uh, what, seven years have been building to this moment. <laughs> Way to sell it. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I say oversell it. Yeah. I've always loved sugar and spike. I actually think I first discovered them on my, uh, the beloved video comics show, oh, which geez. I have talked about. Cause I actually think they did sugar and spike segments there. And I just, I, they're kind of like the Muppets to me and that I liked them as a kid and I liked them as a teenager when presumably they were, I was too cool for such things, but then I liked them again as an adult. So I've never not liked them. I just found Sheldon Mayer's work to be really charming and, I just, I, again, I've always always found Shogun Spike to be great. I love it when they've been worked into the DC universe. I mean, like, they make a cameo in Showcase number 100. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they, they do. They even make a cameo in Crisis on Infinite Earths, for Pete's sakes. So, <laughs> really? Yeah, they do. Um, there's a, a character watching a news event. And you see um, it's their cousin, and you see, the, you see the back of his head sitting in a chair watching the crisis unfold on TV, and he's got framed pictures of Sugar and Spike on his TV. So, oh, I yeah. think I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I love they, – they, they're a beloved part of the DC universe. I mean they got their own archive edition and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, I, again, I've always been a fan. And, so, and they were a big part of the Digests. Um, later on in the later runs of the later years of the digest, they got their own, I think they got like five or six digests all to themselves. And here, um, they found, of course, editor Nick Cootie found a way to, to put them in at the back of this book, because of course the super juniors story, while it's 65 pages, it seems like a hundred, but it's 65 (laughs) pages. They still had like 30 other pages to fill. So we have three sugar and spike stories put into this uh, digest as well. And believe it or not, again, we've been talking about these things for years, and I've been reading DC Comics for 30-plus years. I think in preparation for this episode, this is the first time I've ever actually read Sugar and Spike comic strips. Wow. I'd read, again, Legends of Tomorrow, but never the original stuff. And they are just super adorable and charming. Mm -hmm. So let's get into it. So the first one is only four pages. It's Sugar and Spike, Spike's Big Problem. Uh, Writer and artist is Sheldon Mayer. And it's reprinted from Sugar and Spike number 56, which is from 1964. And here's the synopsis, kindly enough, uh, written by Rob. Thank you. Sugar and Spike find themselves getting pelted by snowballs being thrown by a neighborhood kid. It dawns on Spike that he doesn't like it when Sugar laughs at him, but realizes he feels the opposite it when it happens to her. A random act of what they perceive as good luck turns the tables on the neighbor kid, which Sugar and Spike find very funny indeed. Just short and sweet. Right to the point. That's it. Yep. And, you know, Sheldon Mayer's artwork works so well for the digest format. Because everything's large, the lines are thick, it's it's, it's very easy to read at the digest level. I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, he was he geared these for little kids, and so he wanted not a lot of words. I mean, doing synopses of Sugar and Spike stories feels really kind of dumb because it's, they're Sugar and Spike stories. They're not meant to be sort of analyzed. But, they're again, they're just really cute about basic kind of things. And as we'll get into the next story, like the way Sheldon Mayer would kind of go back and forth about some advent- some stuff was really simple like this. It was just about kids in, a, in their backyard getting hit with snowballs. Basic stuff. You know, it wasn't these big adventures. I mean, they get into that. But I like that it was these little kind of morality tales about, you know, well, it's not funny when it's it's funny if somebody else gets pelted with a snowball, but you don't like it when you get pelted with one. Well, that's something kids have to learn. 
Well, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was you kept saying it was simple, and I was going to say actually the mora- the moral story here is really interesting in, in explaining to a kid that whole philosophy of yeah when it, when it's okay to laugh at somebody and when it's not you know that someone's misfortune. So and again, just adorably illustrated. It's so interesting to me. Again, these are new to me that she calls him was it doll boy? Doll boy, she, yeah. Yeah, I can, and I want, did that carry through in the Legends of Tomorrow? And I just didn't notice. I don't remember. Hmm. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. She always, they always wrote it as because, of course, girls mature faster than boys. That she was a little bit ahead of him, you know, that he was more of a just kind of a roused about kind of kind of kid. I mean, he's named uh, Spike for a reason, and then yeah. she's a little more on the sophisticated side. So yeah, it's really really adorable. So um, the next story. Well, is... before you do that, one, I just want to. There is a, a core concept of the story that we didn't actually mention, and if you've never read Sugar and Spike, you wouldn't know. They're having a conversation throughout the whole thing, but they're actually talking in baby talk, right? Right. And so no one, no adults around them can understand. Only they can understand each other. Right. The whole gist is that the the, the parents, who you only ever see from the knees down, uh, are always like, oh, look, they're just talking gibberish. When, of course, they're having these sort of in-depth conversations with one another that only they can understand. So that's the whole the whole conceit of Sugar and Spike. So. Yep. So, all right, anyway, the next story is much longer. This one is called Cowboy Santa Claus. It's 20 pages. Of course, writer-artist Sheldon Mayer, reprinted from Sugar Spike number 68, 1966. Sugar's pint-sized Grandpa Plum comes to visit for the holidays. The problem is the visit wasn't planned. Grandpa Plum has wandered away from the old folks' home he lives at. It turns out that Grandpa Plum had built the very house Sugar and her family live in way back in 1868 and insists he has a right to live there again. Some people from the home come to collect Grandpa, but he takes off, eventually choosing to hide in plain sight by dressing as a department store Santa Claus. Grandpa Plum speaks the same language as Sugar and Spike, so naturally they take a real shine to him. When they are brought to the department store for a visit with Santa, it leads to a wacky chase through the store, ending with the reveal that Grandpa Plum, who has been playing in the stock market for decades, is a very wealthy man, and he owns the department store. He changes his policy to giving away toys to kids for Christmas, leading to record business. Um, I really like this one, but it's, it's, I think it shows you that Sheldon Mayer knew how to kind of like, uh, change things up. Cause like, I wouldn't want to read nothing but this where it's them having like crazy adventures where the babies are doing things that no baby could really do. But the fact that he would do stories like the one we just talked about where it's real simple and then he'd Mm -hmm. do something wacky like this. It's a nice kind of a and B to go back and forth and stuff like that. Well, when I, I've read the story twice now. The first time I read it, I did feel like it was a little too long. I'm like, this is kind of going on. But then the second time I read it, the, every panel was just charming as heck. Right. So I guess once I once I had a perspective of what to expect, I was like, oh, this I love this. I love the grandpa character. Like I want a little action figure of him just to have on my desk. He's so cute. He's got like you know the 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 old 49er kind of hat, and you can't see his eyes ever because right. he's hat down over that, and you can only see his nose and his big long beard. And the fact that he speaks baby speak is adorable. And the, it, it, you know. Also, the businessman in my in me, me is going. How did the store have a record-breaking year if they gave away toys? I don't understand that. But okay, anyway, it's uh, absolutely adorable and it's super fun. And I, I enjoy the adventure part of the kids doing the crazy zany stuff. I like that. It's fun. Right. Grandpa Plum reminds me of uh, there was an old time and Jerry cartoon. I used to watch it when I was a kid, where Jerry's uncle came to visit and he was like a guitar player. And he would, and he had a hat over his eyes, and he had the big handlebar mustache, kind of like you see Grandpa Plum here. And the whole bit was his guitar strings kept breaking, and he would he would say, I "Can't play a guitar without my guitar string," and he would pull one of Tom's whiskers out of his cheek, which is horrible, it's really, you know, horrible to think about. And he would use that as a guitar string. I've seen that cartoon 
you know, I saw, last time I saw it was probably 35 years ago, but I still remember it. But that's what Grandpa Plum reminds me of. And I love the last panel where all the, the adults, quote-unquote, are like, oh, isn't it cute that he talks baby talk with them? And, of course, they're having these in-depth conversations about what they're watching on TV. And, of course, as we know, he's a super millionaire because he's been playing the stock market from the old folks home, which, again, is right. really very cute. So Right. And, you know, I didn't notice it until just now, but you, you mentioned the parents you only ever see from the, the like the, the waist down, and you're right. But you see other adults. Right. Like the we people see them from the full, shop, and yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. the parents that you don't see. Yep. Very so. t- again, very Tom and Jerry. So it's it's it, really cute. Speaking of that Tom and Jerry thing, yes, it's horrible for him to pull that whisker out, but it's better than cat gut. Just saying. Oh, that's true. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the last one. Is Sugar and Spike a new adventure with the genius? So I, I'm guessing the genius must have been a reoccurring character. Yes. It seems like, and probably um, the grandpa. It seems like he's a reoccurring character too, as near as I could tell. That I uh, don't. That I don't know, but I think so. But genius definitely was. Okay. Well, it's only four pages. Again, Sheldon Mayer. Reprinted from Sugar and Spike, number 51, 1964. How long did that series run? 90, oh 98 issues, I believe. Oh, my gosh. And they couldn't let it get to 100. That always bothered me. Well, back then, numbers didn't matter. I know. So they didn't care about yeah. that stuff back then. But come on. Let Sheldon Mayer just do two more. Come on. <laughs> All right, so Sugar and Spike ask their friend Genius to settle a debate. After an afternoon of sledding, Sugar and Spike find themselves at the bottom of a hill, arguing who should do the job of pulling the sled back up the hill. Genius comes up with an ingenious plan to connive Sugar and Spike to team up to pull the sled together, leaving the sled at the top of the hill, and Sugar and Spike at the bottom. They respond with pelting Genius with snowballs. Oh, this one's so cute. I love how he tells him to hold on to the squirt hose, which is, I get, is that different from a regular hose? And... They, they fall down the hill, and it brings the sled up. It's just adorable. This, this one's super – I really like this one. I think it's very funny. Yeah, I mean he was the closest I think they had to like an antagonist where he was sort of – you know they call him genius, and he was sort of always headed out to kind of pull one over on both Sugar and Spike. Oh, and so I think he was okay. – he wasn't like a villain of the piece, but just somebody that was kind of regarded Sugar foil. and Spike. Yeah, a foil. I think that's probably a better term for it. So, yeah, again, it's really, really cute, and I'm sure that Nick – Cootie, you know, certainly was trying to find stories that were Xmas related, which probably wasn't hard, but he also had to find things that ran the right page count. You know, Mm -hmm. he had a certain amount of pages he had to fit in. But again, I like the pacing of this, that it's like six pages, 20 pages, four pages. It's kind of a nice, it's got a nice beat to it as opposed to, you know, running three 10 pagers or whatever, or one, you know, God forbid, like 35 page story. (laughs) It was all, it's, it, it, it reminds me of like cartoons, you know, where some cartoons were longer than others. And so it it works perfectly. I'm kind of amazed that Sugar and Spike never made it into animation. That's sort of like in, in its, in this classic form that they never did a, a Saturday morning cartoon of Sugar and Spike. It seems like a natural. Well, I think we would have loved it, but you got to keep in mind the market at the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so much Archies and Little Lulus and Richie Riches and, I mean, stuff that's not even around, a sad sack, stuff that doesn't even exist <laughs> anymore that people haven't even heard of, you know, to compete for that market. You yeah, know? And Sugar sure. and Spike really, well, we love it. There's nothing incredibly innovative or different that really differentiates it from the other characters that all that much true now one thing true. i've noticed in the bottom of every single one of these stories is there's a like almost a dedication mm-hmm. it says the story and then for example the last one this story is for merwin dembler age 12 new york new york it, it appears i guess he did that every issue was that just maybe somebody who had written in a, but not with an idea i assume but just I don't know, a fan? Yeah, all the stories have those, these little dedicated. He was, it's Sheldon Mayer. I think he also edited the book as well as writing and drawing it. And I think mm-hmm. he really had like a very direct relationship with like the readers and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, he was, he was big on that. Like, of, he had, um, 
they did uh, – I know they didn't do – I don't know if they did contests because it's not like I've read every issue of Sugar and Spike. But they did submissions where you could come in and like you, people would send their ideas for like outfits and things like that. So yeah, he was, mm-hmm. he was big on that. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm so happy we did these. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed these. And again, if you guys listen to the Fire and Water podcast, Rob and I covered the Legends of Tomorrow comic, uh, gosh, a year or two ago now. And there was a Sugar and Spike entry in each one of those. And both of us were shocked. Going into it, we thought it would be bad. We're like, okay, Sugar and Spike as adult detectives? No, thank you. Yep. But it, Keith Giffen made it so charming and the art was so fantastic yes. that we loved it. So. Buy, buy the archives. Go find them. I, I don't think they're on in-stock trades anymore, but you can find them in your stores or online or whatever. Go buy the archives of Sugar and Spike. It's adorable. I flipped through it uh, before. It's a really cute book. And um, then go find The Legends of Tomorrow Sugar and Spike story, which is amazing. It's such a celebration of DC Comics. It's so much fun. Yeah, it is. I, I, I'm, I, re- I was very skeptical because I, I really re- regard Sugar and Spike as these beloved, innocent characters. And when I, you know, it's like gritty reboot. Like, oh, no. You know, no, <laughs> not. Can we leave Sugar and Spike alone? But it actually really was very, very charming. So, yeah, it's great to see that they've been done really well in two different uh, points in their lives. All right, folks, with the digest behind us, now we are going to move into your listener feedback. And these are comments from Episode 8 on Sergeant Rock's prize battle tales, the one we did for Veterans Day that Rob and I both really got a kick out of. Rob, why don't you kick us off with the feedback? Uh, yes, our first comment is from our pal Sean Myers, who was one of the winners in the recent Digest Cast giveaway. And he says, although I had a ton of digests when they first came out, I very rarely, if ever, bought the non-superhero-related issues. Once I decided to collect the entire digest series, I was glad to be introduced to the different genres that were published by DC. I was always impressed by the war digests, five in total, plus some stories featured in the year's best comic stories collections. And I'm glad to have read them. Beforehand, I always thought that they would glorify war and be nothing more than propaganda tools. But much, but they're often there. But much more often than not, they are a study of the human condition, and I enjoy that. At the risk of causing a divorce between my Earth 2 marriage with Rob, I am not a big fan of Joe Kubert. I know he is beloved and I appreciate that he is talented, but it is just not an art style that catches my eye. Having said that, I absolutely love the art and the NMEA story, The Bull. It's my favorite story in the issue. I'll echo your statements that the laughing panel on Digest page 66 is spectacular. And regarding our announcement that we're going to do Super Juniors, he says, I'm a huge superhero Christmas story fan, so I'm eager to reread and hear your thoughts on the Super Juniors Digest. Regarding my collection of digests that you were coveting, the shelves that hold my digest collection are hidden safely in a space that is guarded by a huge heavy yellow key disguised (laughs) as an airplane marker, so I'm pretty secure in the knowledge that they are safe. (laughs) That's right. We talked about stealing his digest. Oh, goodness. That sounds like a challenge. So are you, uh, you know, as as this broken up your marriage with him, or what's the plan? No, not at all. Because you know what, if somebody's art grabs your eye, or it doesn't, there's no there's no choice. I mean, he acknowledges the legendary nature of Joe Kubert, which to me is unassailable. Um, but if it's not your it's not your style, it's not your style. So that's fine. It's no no problem, Sean. See, and Sean's okay with me because he and I have a plan. When we finally meet face to face, we're gonna take our shoes off and take pictures of our feet for you. So. That's 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 what we've been planning all along. So, so Chuck uh, Coletta wrote in. <laughs> no, no, I've got I've got a I've got a Sean comment. So Sean, another thing Sean said, which he mentioned one that's near and dear to my heart. He says I thought that the War That Time Forgot story, The Big House of Monsters, was great too. I'm sad that the DC Universe animated movies no longer have the DC Showcase Presents shorts anymore because I think they would have been a great idea for that format. 
dude, you are dead on. That is the perfect way for them to do a War of the Time for God. I mean, you just do a, a 15 minute little short, be done with it, and it's out the door. You know, I, I guess they could do a DC Nation thing if they're even doing those anymore, but those are usually more humorous. Uh, but yeah, a little 15 minute short would be perfect for War of the Time for God. Oh, it's a great idea, Sean. Yep, I agree. Then we heard from Chuck Coletta, as Rob already indicated. Uh, of course, uh, Chuck is representing the Bowling Green State University Batman Conference. Chuck wrote in to say, It was revealed in the 1980s that uh, Mademoiselle Marie had a brief encounter with Alfred Pennyworth during the war and produced a daughter, Julia, who later went on to briefly date Bruce Wayne. And, uh, wow, Michael Bailey follows that up by saying, Marie, um, Mademoiselle Marie and Leslie Tompkins, Alfred was a playa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then he goes on to say, Chuck goes on to say, Superman and his son recently returned to Dinosaur Island in Superman number eight and nine, plus the Escape from Dinosaur Island special. These issues are a quasi sequel to Dar Darwin Cook's New Frontier, and there's lots of fun and a nice footnote to Cook's classic tale. You know, I'm glad he brought that up because I completely forgot about that. Yeah, Super the, the Superman books when they first came back with Rebirth, where it was Clark and his son Jonathan, were really wonderful. They were just so charming. They're great stories, and yeah, they went to Dinosaur Island, and it, I mean, literally is a follow-up directly from the New Frontier story on the Dinosaur Island, and it's really great. You should definitely check that out, folks. Then we heard from Adam Ackerman, uh, who goes by Centaurin, and he goes, um, he had a really good point that we sort of missed, Rob. He goes, as this is the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One, and you th uh, and you themed it to have an internet, I'm sorry, and you seem to have an international following, I think it would have been better to have uh, a commemoration of Armistice Day rather than Veterans Day. That is, after all, the reason that Veterans Day is on the 11th in Canada and the United States. Well, you know, it's, we should have definitely acknowledged that it was the 100th anniversary of, of Armistice Day, or of, of the end of World War One. We didn't catch that so very good i'm glad you brought that up thank you adam yeah as soon as i read that i was like oh yeah he's right we should have done that so thank you for that uh Sandra. uh dr Ange from the super World comic box commentary wrote in plus he of course he's a member of the legion of super bloggers another great episode guys thanks for sharing i almost never got war books as a kid and only encountered them and things like this within the last year i found the hardcover enemy ace archives for 15 dollars and love that book to bits the hardline ethics of the hammer makes the whole thing an interesting read I also love how the hammer is a tortured soul, often walking into the woods post-battle to be alone, feeling most akin to a wolf. This story is a great way to showcase the formula of his stories. The tall story is wonderful, just amazing stuff. And finally, Mademoiselle Marie, sigh, will always have Paris. <laughs> Everybody loves my Mademoiselle Marie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. not. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah really. the Enemy Ace Archives? Wow, what a great find. I mean, I've been reading them on, on, in the Showcase Edition, which is great where you really can celebrate that artwork. But yeah, the, those stories are so moving and moody and powerful and full of moral issues. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Yeah, that's a good buy. $15 for that. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. So uh, we also got a comment from Chris Franklin, who I think is new to the network. I've never heard of him before. He says, great episode. As a kid, I mostly followed the war characters when they intersected with my superheroes. When I first heard my dad say that his brother, my Uncle Leonard, had served in World War II, I responded with cool, just like Sergeant Rock. <laughs> my dad quickly informed me that <laughs> my dad quickly informed me that war was not a comic book and not to mention it to my uncle unless he started the conversation. Obviously I never forgot that brief conversation, but I think DC's war titles were almost always reverent and serious minded about their depiction of war. Never really glorifying it, always using it as a vehicle for some kind of morality tale. I'm really disturbed by that shot of the dog being shot at. Looks a lot like my beagle, Forrest. You give them Nazis hell, Rock. <laughs> the art in this book is just gorgeous. I agree that Kubert's enemy ace art looks a bit broader than normal. Maybe he was experimenting a bit back then. 
I was never really crazy about Jerry Tallock's art either, as it seemed very loose and amorphous, but when he did draw the unknown soldier's face, man, he nailed the horror of his disfigurement. Super Juniors? Is that a kid's clothing chain or something? <laughs> Only Chris Franklin knows. <laughs> Then we heard from Ed Bosnar, and he says, I really enjoy the show as usual. It was another great conversation about what it seems to uh, – sorry, what seems like a really great digest, and I'm happy that we we're treated to another digest cast so soon after the last one. Yeah, that's a little holiday present from us guys uh, to have the, the uh, one in October, one in November, one in December. We certainly – I don't think we're going to be able to keep this pace up, but we wanted to really catch up and do some and uh, have it out for the end of the year. So there you go. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And then Ed goes on to say, I was, however, quite upset about the news that the Marvel digest line is being canceled. At this point, I have almost every single one, and I love them. I just, uh, I think I just love the idea of Marvel Digest more than anything else. Anyway, it's too bad that Archie's apparently pulling the plug, and also too bad that Marvel's parent, Disney, with all of its own massive marketing and distribution channels, apparently doesn't see this as a potential revenue stream worth continuing in some other way. Oh, well, it was nice while it lasted. You know, Ed, you're right. I'm really bummed about these Marvel Digests. I was really enjoying them. I mean, we, we did give a little hard time about a couple of the stories in them, but in general, they were a lot of fun, and they were perfectly timed with the movies. Now, I know Marvel has some sort of deal for kids' comics with IDW, where IDW is like they're actually publishing a Spider-Man comic coming up that I think ties in with the movie that just came out, the animated movie. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm, I'm – that's where I'm putting my eggs in the basket, hoping that somehow IDW will get something going, um, which would be great. But I, I don't know. I miss them too. And we've still got a few to cover. And Rob and I are kind of – we're talking about how we might want to go about covering those someday. And um, so sooner or later, they'll show up on the show. Yeah, we, we waxed those Digest's car. We absolutely did. We gave them a lot of attention. And so we, we did our best. We did our best. Sometimes our we, we brought them into existence, too. We brought them into existence. Sometimes it doesn't work forever, but you know, we enjoyed them, again, while it, while it lasted, as, 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 uh, as he says. So we got a comment from Siskoid, who was, of course, from our network. Uh, he does FW Team Up, uh, Ohatmu, and the upcoming Zero Hour, and a lot more. He says, I have to agree with Chag. The War That Time, the, the time Forgot is huge fun. I think I may have read the whole showcase, too, and a good chunk of Haunted Tank. Somehow, Kaniger can make repetitive, repetitive concepts fun with just enough variation on the theme, and he's usually paired with amazing artists. Here in Canada, like many other countries, we commemorate the World War I armistice still. It's the equivalent of your Memorial Day and call it Remembrance Day. I suppose it's because World War I was our war, the one that had the most impact on our country, even if our forces fought in others. Street names, Canadian cinema, monuments, Flanders Field iconography, the Great War looms large in our history and culture. Thank you, Siskoid. Wow, that's really interesting. It gives an international perspective. Really appreciate that, Cisco. Uh, we heard from Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. He says, I love the Digest cast to bits. They inspired me to buy lots of old Digests on eBay. And then he actually gives me a specifically a high, sh- a high shout out, high shag. And look at the cover of Kubert's, I'm sorry, look at a Kubert cover of my favorite, which was from DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 14, which is the UFO Invaders one. And Martin was kind enough to post that and specifically tag me because he beat me in an eBay auction for that exact Digest. So thanks so much for rubbing that in, Martin. Really appreciate that. I now have a copy of my own, and I hope I paid less than you did. So <laughs> It's getting so ugly. Uh, we got a comment from Jimmy McGlinchey, and he says, As mentioned by Shag and by Martin in the comments, you have to give the New 52 credit for trying to bring back war comics to the masses. Unfortunately, it does not look like it was a genre that had many supporters in this day and age. There have been some nice modern takes on the war story, though. I remember a very good appearance in Garth Ennis and John McRae's Demon series, while Len Wein and Joe Kubert had old war heroes meet up in 1976 for a reunion, or Mademoiselle Marie arrived with an unnamed son who looks especially 
basically like Sergeant Rock. Oh my gosh. Sergeant Rock had died in a flashback in that story with the last bullet followed World War II. I know Sergeant Rock was brought back in modern times. He was the head of the Joint Chiefs during the President Luther storyline, where he thought was where uh, he thought where he was thought dead after the Imperix War, but then turned up again in the Gifts and Suicide Squad series. Looking back at the end of it, with Sergeant Rock disappearing and a mask left behind, I wonder was it meant to be the Unknown Soldier masquerading as Rock in that series? In any case, I think it was best to have Rock die in World War II. That was his era, and the character does belong there. Yes, I agree totally, Jimmy. Well, and I think that's what Giffen was going for because that Suicide Squad series, by the way, is so much fun. It's like twelve issues, and it's like a it's by Giffen. It's like a really nice melding of Ostrander Suicide Squad with like JLI campiness. I mean, it's really a weird mix, and once you realize it's a mix, it's like it's like oh, this is fun. But yeah, I think that's exactly what they were going for when he pulled off the mask that he was the unknown soldier and that Rock had died in World War II. I think that's exactly what Giffen was trying to tell us, and that was his way of fixing this problem of someone bringing uh, Rock back during the, the Luther thing. Yeah. Right. Then we heard from our buddy Luke Giaconetti from the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. He also does his show Earth Direction – I'm sorry, Earth Destruction Directed Podcast, and he does a lot of other stuff on the network. And he was the direct inspiration for the last episode during Veterans Day. He says the Haunted Tank Mademoiselle Marie team-up was fantastic. Marie rarely crossed paths with the other war characters, so this is a – was was a treat for me. Most haunted tank stories have a lot of tank battles in them because I, I mentioned that during the episode. And, and then he continues to say, and this is one was no different. Great action from start to finish. And he also says, uh, Mademoiselle Marie is a great character. Let's face it, super tough female French resistance fighter operating against the Nazis, Vichy French, and Milice Francaise. The stuff writes itself. <laughs> There's a great one shot in Star Spangled War Stories Volume 2 from 2010, which is like a prototypical modern Mademoiselle Marie story. Man, everybody loves Mademoiselle Marie. <laughs> How could you not? Yeah, I mean, come it's on. A total winner. <laughs> Uh, he wrote in to say, Enemy Ace was far ahead of its time and ahead of the curve in terms of depicting a German character as a hero in a war comic, even if it was set in World War I. This is to me similar in the way that DC war creators would often use World War II to tell stories about Vietnam, here using World War I to tell stories about World War II. Hans von Hammer is an honorable, patriotic, and thoughtful and introspective character, and these traits let the creators examine the emotions and feelings of the German soldiers 30 years later in World War II. The scene of Carl smashing his plane into the French flyers is just amazing, full stop. When the bull cheats in the duel, I legitimately became angry, and I was very glad to see the bull get his comeuppance, and Kubert's art is just – I'm sorry, Kubert's art is just astounding, even at the smaller scale, and the layouts and panel composition are just second to none. The Unknown Soldier is my favorite war character, and as, I such, as such, I always eager to read his feature. David Michelini and Jerry Talek, to me, are the second major creative team on The Soldier, and they take the stories in a slightly different direction than Kubert, Archie Goodwin, and Jack Sparling. Talek was the first to really show The Soldier's scarred-up face, and Michelini added a bit more moral gray areas to the story. And then he says, thank you again, guys, for hyping the hashtag War Comics Month. Please go out there, read and post about your favorite war comics, old and new. Yeah, so if you go out into social media, go out to Twitter and all that and use that hashtag, um, War Comics Month, you'll still be able to find all those posts out there, people talking about war comics that I read in November, so it's worth checking out. Then we heard from Bill Dunleavy, and he says, great episode. I'll have to hunt this one down. It sounds fantastic. Alexander Adrock says, great episode. Strangely enough, Sergeant Rock and Jonah Hex were some of my first comics before I even had any superhero books. My house burned down as a kid, mm. and we were, oh my God, and we were donated a bunch of comics and toys and these kid-friendly titles were in the pile. They scared me, but I love them. <laughs> I love hearing stories about that, where kids read comics that were probably a little bit beyond what they should have been reading, and it was sort of formative for them. I, I love that kind of thing. Um, 
then we heard from Doc Strange, who's Billy Delicious on Twitter. He goes, uh, that Digest episode about Sergeant Rock was great. Well, thanks, Doc Strange. We appreciate that. Then our buddy Michael Lane from Comics in the Golden Age, who uh, got to hang out with at uh, Baltimore Comic Con. Really nice guy. And, and I recently found out he shopped at my comic book shop in the 90s. How crazy is that? Uh, he says, trying to pack as light as possible for our trip to Disney, but I want to take a few comics to read during the quiet moment. So it looks like these Digests will be coming with me. And he's got a year's best comic stories, a Justice League Digest, a Superman best stories, a House of Mystery, and a Jonah Hex Digest, which are great. And Chuck Coletta said, well, why don't you just listen to the Digest Cast podcast? Have fun Disney. Michael Lane's response, I've already listened to every episode, of course. <laughs> thank you, which was nice. Thank you so much. Well, folks, that is going to do it for your feedback on this episode. Rob, where can people leave uh, feedback on the Super Juniors Digest? You go to our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and just look for the Digest Cast post. Yep, absolutely. We'd love to hear your thoughts on either the Sugar and Spike stories or your maybe some favorite Christmas digests that you like or the Super Juniors, any side of it. Um, or if you have pictures of the Super Juniors merchandise in your life, I'd love to see some of those. That'd be great. Now, next episode, we haven't yet decided what the digest is going to be. We will post on social media, so watch uh, Twitter and Facebook and stuff as we get closer to when the next episode will be. We'll be sure to share that with you so you can check it out in advance. But, uh, you know, I guess really, Rob um, – what else should we tell the folks? Go out to Twitter, go out to Facebook, all that jazz? You can go to, yeah, and go to the Twitter feed for the show, which is at, at Digest Comics. And we want to say uh, happy holidays to everybody. And it's great that we got a chance to do three shows uh, in three successive months. We did want to kind of catch up on Digest Cast a little bit, and, and we did. So uh, very exciting. And you're leaving me on tenterhooks here because I really thought you would announce what Digest were doing next. So now i got to wait like everybody else. That's right. So you're going to have to get on the Ebays and buy all these Marvel Digests, I'm going to suggest. Transformers coming next. <laughs> no, not really. I promise, folks. Not really. <laughs> Someday, but not, not yet. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for listening to Digest Cast. We appreciate it. And always remember, big things come in small packages. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! Yes, it's Superman who today finds it necessary once again to call on his friend Batman for assistance. We'll join them in just a moment. But first, here's Superman himself with a personal message for you. Hello, everyone. This is Superman bringing you best wishes for a very Merry Christmas from Lois Lane, Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, and myself. You know, after so many years of half-heartedly celebrating this wonderful holiday while the world was at war, while the many men and women we knew and loved were scattered all over the globe, Christmas today is very extra special. It's special because many of our friends and relatives are back home to celebrate Christmas with us. And because once more, peace on earth, goodwill to men is more than just a beautiful phrase. On this Christmas day, let's all determine to do everything we can to see that this remains a lasting peace on earth through the everyday practice of goodwill to men. You see, wars grow out of misunderstanding, hate, and intolerance. All things that were preached against by the Prince of Peace, whose nativity we celebrate today. Now, if we try to understand our fellow men, if we avoid hate and banish intolerance, we would do away with the cause for war, and this scourge would forever disappear from the earth. Try to remember always that, as Abraham Lincoln said, all men are created equal. Regardless of race, creed, or color, we're all humans, entitled to the same respect and privileges. Here in America, all of us, black and white, Catholic, Protestant, and Jew, are all Americans. And we must live together peaceably at home if we are to live in peace with the rest of the world. Let's see that forever hereafter there is peace on earth, 
goodwill to men. A Merry Christmas to you all. Now, the adventures of Superman. Superman. <laughs>